Uh, we have been uh, talking about Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is giving what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been looking particularly at the Beatitudes, which I thought I was going to get through in a week, and I think this is the third week, and I still won't get through it all today, more than likely. But today's message in particular has just been a real, I don't know, a joy for me, you know, digging into these Scriptures and looking at additional subjects surrounding this particular Beatitude, and so I'm going to focus on that today. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at uh, beginning in verse 9 is what we're going to look at today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know, we look to Jesus as the definer of our faith, the author of our faith, the example of how to live, how to interact, how to communicate, those kinds of things. Jesus is the source of all those things. And whenever anything we're wrestling with is out of alignment with Jesus, we want to bring it into alignment with Him. And so we're looking at all these different Beatitudes. He's saying, blessed are those. Blessed are those. Happy are those. People will enjoy blessing when they pursue these characteristics. These are who God is. Ultimately, they're defined in Jesus Himself and His lifestyle. But He's also then given them to us as an example of how to live and how to interact with one another and the world around us. And he says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I don't know about you, but I think we all could use more peace in our lives. I think it's been that way my whole life. And I think actually it's probably true for most people all of their lives because we live in a broken world. And that brings me to my first thought I want to start to unpack with you about the idea of peace. What is peace? What is it? It's it's an English word we use. We know Jesus wouldn't have used the actual word peace back in the day when when we're studying the Bible. We've got four sources of information. I hope at least some of you have memorized these because I've harped on these quite a bit over the last year. You've got the meaning of the individual words and phrases and sentences is one of the ways we Uh, how we know what to interpret. So we look at each individual word. What does the individual word mean? And then we look at number two. What is the meaning of the word or the sentence in its context? What is being discussed in this particular passage of Scripture? How do I I understand it in what, however the original author is talking about it? Number three, we have the overall teaching of Scripture. Does it line up with the overall teaching of Scripture? No. Then I'm misunderstanding it. Yes. Then let's continue to dig into it. So there's, there's number three. Number four is that sometimes we have historical or geological type natural evidence that helps us understand certain things. So we know, we have some historical idea of what it was like in old school Jerusalem and things like that, just based on archaeology and things. And sometimes that informs our interpretation, but not always. So we have the meaning of the individual words and phrases in a sentence. We have the meaning of the words and phrases in their context. We have the overall teaching of Scripture. This is how we learn to interpret what the Bible is telling us. If we're not following Scripture, guidelines and interpretation, we can make it mean whatever the heck we want it to mean. But we have to wrestle with the, 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 the whole thing in order to come to conclusion about what is the scripture talking about. So when we're looking at, at what uh, a peacemaker is or what peace is, this first thing we're going to look at is what is the meaning of the actual individual word, peace and maker. 
Well, this isn't rocket science. I think we know what peace is in a general sense. We have an understanding about it. But I want to just bring in some other kind of thinking about, not other thinking, but other descriptive words about peace. Peace really comes from the idea of oneness, being whole, being together and one, as opposed to broken or divided. So peace is whole. It's together. It's one. It's something that is in alignment, not off track. Okay, there's an alignment there. It, it, it communicates an idea of security and safety. When, and you know, you know what this is like, even in our relationships. When there's a oneness and a togetherness and, and going in the same direction, there's a security and a safety for us as individuals in our relationships. But when our relationships begin to fracture and break, there's no more peace. There isn't peace in our family or there isn't peace in our friendships or maybe there's not peace in our work environment or whatever it is because there's not a togetherness. It's broken. And when that is broken, we're no longer safe to express ourselves. We're no longer safe to discuss how we're feeling and work through issues together because it's become broken relationally. That's what the idea of peace comes from. We often think of it in terms of peace and war, and it's true. Where does war come from? It comes from the broken relationship between two nations. They're no longer at peace. They're at war. Blessed are the peacemakers. We talk about peace, about being that Uh, kind of that tranquil state of your soul. I feel peace today. Well, what is that? Well, when we're conflicted internally, when we're broken internally, when our heart and mind are at conflict with each other, because they get that way sometimes. We're broken internally and we don't have peace. Or our circumstances don't make sense to us or, or whatever it is. So internally, we feel divided. Division is the opposite of peace. There is no peace when there's division. From the very inner part of who you are to the worldwide scale. This is true. What's a maker? Peace maker. (laughs) One who constructs. Somebody who builds something. You might be a housemaker, right? You're a construction worker. A garage slab maker. Concrete pour, right? We build things. We make things. And a peacemaker is someone who constructs oneness, makes peace. A bridge maker, if you will, who bridges the gap between two things that are broken and separated and brings them together in a wholeness, a oneness, a bridge builder relationally. A peacemaker. To unite parties that were once at odds. Whether those parties be your brain and your heart. Whether those parties be you and a friend. Whether those parties be political parties. National leaders. Whatever it is. To unite parties that were once at odds. Is to make peace. It's an action. Peacemaking is deliberate, intentional action. When you bury your head in in the sand and you ignore the issues or pretend like they're not there, that is not peacemaking. That's ignoring. That just maintains brokenness in situations. Peacemakers are people that take action 
to bring peace. Another word that comes into play is the is that's right that is akin to peace in the Greek is pacify. Some of us need a pacifier. Usually, little ones sometimes need a pacifier. What does it do? It pacifies them. It soothes soothes the situation. And of course, it makes sense. There are very few situations as stressful as a screaming baby in the middle of the night. And so you take the plug and you put it in their mouth and it's called a pacifier and it pacifies them. It calms the situation down. It brings, hopefully, peace so you can sleep in your house. Those are all concepts behind the word peace and peacemaking. It's an action. Well, we could understand this to primarily begin with making peace with God. First, big picture overarching concept of peacemaking that I believe we can understand this to mean from the scripture is making peace with God. Mankind is at odds with God. He's naturally broken. He's naturally separated. Because he has chose to disobey God's ways, he's then broken alignment with God. God has a way he wants things. He has an economy he operates by, a way of life, a way of thinking, a way of behaving, a way of communicating. And he's instructed us in that in his word. And when we break away from that, we call that sin. Now, sin is a word that has different meaning for different people. And I refer to this a lot of the time. Really, sin is misalignment. It's out of line. And so we can try and define that this is sin, this isn't sin, and this isn't, and this is. And, you know, that can be helpful, but sometimes it's not. It's anything that's out of alignment with the character and the nature of God. We are just sinful. You could make a list of all of them, but ultimately in our nature, our base nature, we are sinful in the sense that we are broken from alignment with God. We are at war with God. When we broke away from his way in the garden and we continue to today, we actually ally ourselves with our own enemy, the adversary of God, by being out of alignment with God's ways. Blessed are those who are in alignment with God's way of operating. But when we separate ourselves, it is sin. So the, the idea that we could define sin in every detail, in every action, is folly. Ultimately, we are sinful. Even if you every sin you could think of, you never did any of those, you still would be sinful and you wouldn't even know it. Because mankind is broken from God. What a tragic, tragic story. But God... But God made a way. God rescued us. God reconciles us. He brings peace to that brokenness. He's the peacemaker of our relationship. He's given us the opportunity to return to him wholeheartedly, submit ourselves to him, and walk in that blessing and that goodness that comes from being in alignment, in unity, at peace with God. You ever thought about uh, it makes me think about that scene in Forrest Gump where Lieutenant Dan, without his legs, is up in the mast of the ship and he's yelling at God in the storm. And at the end, Forrest Gump says something like, I think Lieutenant Dan finally made peace with God. We are peacemakers on this earth. 
primarily, beginning with the idea that we want to bring a message that restores the brokenness of the relationship between man and God, to bring that oneness back the way God had originally created it. We are peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the people that bring the unity, that bring the oneness, that bring the restoration of relationship, bridge the gap of brokenness. Blessed are the peacemakers. And Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. How did he bridge that gap? He put himself on the cross as the sacrifice for all sin, for all time. And anyone that would lay hold of that gift in faith, believing that that blood, that innocent blood shed on the cross was was the sacrifice for them, they will be restored. That sinfulness will be wiped away from them. And we're made clean. We're restored to God. Peace has been made. Oneness, quietness, all those things. Therefore, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have peace with God? Because of faith. Because we believe. Not because we earned it. Not because we never sin. But because he has paid the price for that sin and peace has been made through faith. We have been made, restored into oneness with God. When Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for you. Did you know that? Reminds you of this. He prayed for you. Right where you sit today, trying to pay attention to what I'm saying and thinking about all the things that you're thinking about, he prayed for you. And what did he pray? John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only. So he's saying, I'm not just praying for these guys that are right here beside me today, all those thousands of years ago, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I, because we believe in him through the word that we've received, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We are called to be one with God, united with God. That God would be with us, that he would be in us, around us, operating, uh, holding all things together, that, that his word and his goodness and his spirit would flow through us. We're to be united with God. Just like Jesus is with the Father. We're united with Jesus. We're united with the Father. And with one another. Why? That the world may know. We are called to be united. To be at peace. To be one. Strive for peace with everyone. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. Now we're going to start to get complicated here, aren't we? But, 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 but. I think Tyler talked about our butts a few weeks ago because we have a lot of them. But this, but that. But the writer of Hebrews says, strive for peace with everyone. Who? Everyone. It goes on in verse 15. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. How much bitterness are we seeing in the world around us today? It is growing like knapweed. And what is it coming from? What's it coming from? Division. Dividedness. 
not peace. That's not God's way. He is a peacemaker. He's the one who makes oneness, who brings together, who bridges gaps, and who teaches us how to do that according to his word. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's a challenging and difficult, difficult thing. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, God's way is not our way. The world's way of operating, the world's way of relating, the world's solutions for our problems will never, ever work. We, were, we are not called to engage in just carnal behavior in order to deal with the difficulties in life. We are called to a higher economy, a greater way, a greater thinking, a spiritual way of life. And it defies the Babylonian, we would call it, a worldly system of living. It's above it. It's transcendent. It's beyond it. This all goes away. It all goes away. But how we have lived for God's economy, for his way, in his word, will matter. And it will change things in the now. But our tendency is to want to fight, to break the peace, to be angry, to backbite, to gossip, to accuse, and to allow bitterness to be the thing that just grows like an ugly vine throughout our hearts and infiltrates our every thought and every opinion and every way we communicate about people around us because we're broken. We're not at peace. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Repay some people evil for evil. Repay the people you disagree with with evil. When are we permitted to repay in evil? Never. Never. We do not repay evil for evil. Why? Because Jesus didn't, and we don't either. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Are we called to brokenness? Are we called to break things? Are we called to divide? Are we called to force our way into situations and cause separation and division? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I'm going to address some of the controversies in this here in a little bit. It's been such a season of gossip and sowing division and backbiting. and uh, I can't even look at Facebook hardly right now because it's just the absolute, unaccountable, unkind rash, brash, irrational, unfounded, unaccountable stuff that goes on. I think time will soon show us how unhealthy communication without accountability has become. And I think we see it in our media as well. You can, you can, go, you can go find something to tell you whatever you want it to say. Truth has no, <laughs> no place, it seems. And so we're left confused and bewildered, not sure who to believe, not sure what to look to. If we agree with it, we like it, right? 
But if we don't agree, they must be biased, right? It's just an absolute mess right now. And it's why we've got to come back to the teachings of Christ. Those are like a solid compass pointing in the direction that we need to go, laying the path out in front of us. Nothing can sway us. We don't have to fret. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be divided. We don't have to be angry. If we will lay hold of the principles and the concepts of God's word, his economy, his way of life, and we'll live them out in our everyday life. We are being tested like Rufus taught us last week. Our very principles, our very ideals, our, true, our real belief in the word of God is absolutely under the test of fire right now. And so we have to look at it very closely and, and see what it says. Does this not apply to us? Was this for a group of people 2,000 years ago who had it way better than us, right? Sorry, that was sarcastic. I shouldn't be sarcastic. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We are pushed and challenged to live that way. That's what we're called to. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict. Youch. And a gossip separates close friends. What is gossip anyways? I haven't had time to think about it too much, but... Man, it seems like saying things that you're not a part of or not accountable for or don't really have the information on sounds like gossip to me. And the more people talk, hey, where words abound, sin abounds too. <laughs> and we just... Actually, it's like... These days. What happens? Division, bitterness, gossip, slander. And what does the Bible refer to those things as? Perverse. Because they divide. But reject, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23, Paul's instructing Timothy, a leader in the church. He's in Paul, or I'm sorry, in Timothy and Titus particularly, you will see Paul's architecture for the, for the structure of the church and the direction of the church. There is tons of really good information in here about how God is orchestrating the structure of the church for many, many years ahead. It's where we see the elders established as the leaders of the church. It's where we see some of our governing kind of thoughts, if you will. And in 2 Timothy, he's instructing him, but reject Foolish and ignorant speculation, for you know that it breeds quarreling. We have proven this this year as humanity. Speculation breeds quarreling. Quarreling, quarreling, quarreling out of speculation, fear, wonder, forming opinions without actually having information, or only having an opinion and then aligning ourselves with the information rather than getting the information and then formulating an opinion. Very different, speculative, but reject it. Reject ignorant speculation, for you know it breeds quarreling. Are you tired of quarreling? Are you tired of the fighting? Then let's not adopt the Babylonian way of life, the worldly economy, the worldly way of communicating and relating and dealing with our problems. Let's go to the word of God, go to God's economy, go to a spiritual concept to lead us and guide us in the way that we live and operate. So, is there ever a time then that we divide? Is there ever a time 
that we have to deal with these things. Absolutely there is. We're not pie in the sky thinking that, you know, there's never going to be any problems. There's lots of problems. And, the, and where do we go with how to navigate those problems? The Bible, the Word of God. When we have conflict, how do we deal with it? When we disagree, how do we work through it? When we're trying to find the truth about how we should live and how we should behave, where do we go? We go to the Word of God. And there is a time and a season for things. I think when people talk about peacemaking, I, I want to talk about this word for a second. Not in the, not in the cultural sense. But I get myself in a huge amount of hot water here. But it's the word tolerate. Is, is tolerance peacemaking? No. No, see, this is the problem. That's, that's, I think that idea is anarchy. Everyone's truth is relative. Everyone's lifestyle is relative. You do what you want and I'll do what I want and that's the way it should be. Not according to scripture, it's not. There is an absolute truth in the scripture. There is a way in the scripture. God is absolute because he's perfect. We can't get away from that. Not that we can completely get a hold of that, but it's very important for us to wrestle with. So how do we deal with things when they're broken? What if, what if we are divided and someone is right and someone is wrong? The Bible gives us lots of provisions for this. and I don't, I'm not going to go into them in too much depth. But in Titus, again, another book where Paul's giving instruction to one of his protégés, if you will, about how to deal with issues in the church. And he says this in Titus chapter 3, verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Whoopsh. Paul was not afraid to bring the hammer down when it was time. He had huge amounts of grace for people. It says at one point that he turned one of the guys that was, he was leading over to Satan. <laughs> what did he mean? He let him go. To just go roll in his own whatever he was dealing with. Paul was done dealing with him. He would let God deal with this person. And maybe he did. And maybe the guy came back years later and, you know, repented and got it all straight, squared away. I don't know. But Paul instructs us. When someone is sowing division on a regular basis, you eventually need to cut those ties. I think in our own relationships it's, even, it's this way. Not just the church. If you're in constant relationship with someone who's constantly trying to destroy you or divide or accuse, sooner or later you need to cut ties with those people because they're unhealthy for you. Now that is a power we have to be very careful about because we want to have grace for people. But grace is not anarchy. It's not everyone gets to do whatever they want all the time, regardless of consequences. You do your thing and I'll do mine. It's a free country. Not according to the scripture. God has called us to work towards unity. To be at peace. To be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. The people who will bridge that broken gap. The people that will try and restore those broken relationships. But we don't make peace by ignoring or pretending things. We have to go to the word and we have to wrestle with these things. And there is a time and a place. I think people in abusive relationships find themselves this way. You know, it, you know if you're in a, you know, people, I'll just use an example because it's a common one of husbands abusing their wives. And the, and the wife will just continue to submit to it thinking that somehow this is, 
you know, my husband has authority and therefore he can beat me, you know. <laughs> but I want to keep the peace and I, I don't want division because the Bible says I should have grace and all this and that. But there is a point where the scripture actually says when you've been dealing with someone and they just continue to be this way, you cut them off. You end the relationship. They're causing division. They're robbing the peace. They're breaking the life. So there is a time and a place where we actually just cut the cord, if you will, and go, I'm no longer going to be bound in this situation. So there's a time. I want to give you just the Greek word for word of this. If we could go to this next slide. This is a Greek word for word. Uh, So if you took the Greek words and you just went literal, it would read like this. A factious man, after one and a second admonition, reject. Factious. Paul criticized the Corinthians because they were allowing factions to develop among them. They were having opinions about theology, opinions about ways the church should be going, and you know who knows what else they were opinionating about, and factions were beginning to divide. And Paul rails on them for this, for allowing that kind of division to grow amongst them based on things that must not have been important enough in Paul's mind. In fact, it's why he instructs the Romans on how to deal with disputable matters. So we don't want to be a factious people, creating faction, promoting faction, promoting uh, division. After they've been rejected once or twice, uh, admonished once or twice, then reject them. That was Paul's instruction. This is how important peace is. There is a time that we need to take action and relationships come apart because of it. I appeal to you, brothers. This is Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers. Watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles. Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. We are a peacemaking people. Our message is peacemaking. Our operation in this world should be peacemaking. It should be reconciling relationships. It should be bringing the spirit of God, the word of God. Nothing else should have higher priority than that in our lives. Sure, we have political opinions about what's going on. We have all kinds of ideals that we adhere to. But we have, have to hold God's principles and God's word in higher value and higher regard because those things will pass away. Those ideals, won't, you won't take them into heaven. You won't be a Republican or a Democrat in heaven. But you will carry the word of God on for eternity. And it's very, very important that as we wrestle in this very difficult time with the division and the brokenness with, with the community and, and just all over the place, that we, we have to become, the word that keeps coming to my mind, I'm not sure if I'm applying it correctly, but it's transcendent. We have to rise above the murky water, and be able to see the whole thing and go, what really matters in all this? What's the most important things? You know, what is the word of God teaching above all things here? And, and then we, we make the adjustments. See, God is adjusting us. Okay, let's look at a tough passage of scripture here. I forgot to put my reference in my notes, but I think it's on here. Um, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. This would be one of those things that if you buy one of those books that says the Bible contradicts itself, this would be one of the examples. 
Jesus said these words, do not think that I have come to be, bring peace, which it sounds like an absolute contrast to almost everything else he taught. So did Jesus come to bring peace or not? Is Jesus a peacemaker or not? Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Uh Uh-oh. Often pointed to as a contradiction in scripture. Well, again, what did I tell you in the beginning? How do we interpret the scripture? How do we come to an understanding of what it means? We look at the meaning of the individual words and sentences. We look at the sentences in its context. What's he talking about? We take into consideration the entire overarching teaching of scripture. And then we have some historical context. Okay, what do we know? Of course Jesus came to bring peace. He's the ultimate peacemaker. The Bible instructs us over and over that he made peace between us and God, that he wants us to have peace with one another. But there are some circumstances where that becomes difficult to understand. And let's read on to what he said. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take, hear this, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is the, where is the division that Jesus is bringing into the earth? When you and I come to faith in him, it can hurt our relationships It can separate families. We have testimony out of the Muslim world. I've told you even about my friend Abdullah Jamal out of India who's been abandoned by his family, disowned. Muslim, became a Christian, those kinds of things. Yes, because when we follow Christ, we're we're dividing ourselves from the old us. We've made war with the old us. I'm still at war with the old me. He still carries around on my back like a dead man. And I'm at war with him. But I'm not at war with you. And even with my father and my mother, am I now excused from honoring them? No. So does all the other teaching of Scripture go out the window because of this? No. There is a way to read and understand and resolve the Scriptures. We can come to an understanding that Jesus has brought a division, and it's from the old life. And to take up our cross. That is, taking up your cross, you don't take up that cross so you can beat your father or your mother-in-law, even if you want to. That's not what taking up your cross is. It's not causing that division. It's not fighting that fight. It's a, it's a self-sacrifice. It's laying down your life, all of it, on behalf of his kingdom, his way, his economy. When Paul was converted, I'll conclude with this. When Saul, before he was Paul, was on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears and they're knocked to the ground. And Jesus said, Saul, why do you persecute me? And when Paul is giving an account of this situation when he's before King Agrippa, I believe. He tells him that what Jesus said to him was, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. What's a goad? Many of you would recognize that from a Johnny Cash song. One of the last songs Johnny Cash did 
was when the man comes around. Only he quotes the old King James and he says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And all of us go, kick against who? What? What did he say? Most people don't know what that refers to. So I get to kick certain people? No, that's a quotation of the old King James. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So a goad would be like a cattle prod or a shepherd's staff or a tool that you use to move livestock along. You know, the end of the shepherd's staff with its hook is meant to hook around the neck to steer the sheep wherever they need to go. And the word of God comes. The economy of God comes and it grabs us around the neck and it goes, I want you to orient in alignment with me, in unity with me, in peace with me and my way. But Paul was kicking against it. And it's actually, that that line really is actually out of Greek literature. And the idea was when the ox would kick against the goad, the more he rebelled, the worse it hurt. And God is goading us. He's he's doing something in us. He's steering us back to his word. He's wanting us to prioritize his word as the defining way in which we live our lives. And the harder we kick, the worse it hurts. And he is not afraid to dish out some pain to get his people on track. Read the Old Testament. it It is hard for thee to kick against the goads to kick against God trying to steer him. And Jesus knocked Paul down on the ground. And he's like, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The next beatitude, which I don't have time to get into today, is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Paul was persecuting the church. He was dividing the church. He was marching around in his righteous indignation, causing division. And Jesus arrived and said, why do you persecute me? And I think it's really important for us to really, really dig deep and take inventory of our own hearts and go, what drives who I am? What drives what I believe? What drives the principles by which I live? Are they peacemaking? Am I going to obey all these passages? Mountains and mountains of passages? beyond this, that instruct me to live this way in the world around me and with my fellow believers? Am I an exception to these things? I think not. So we continue to wrestle. And it will be a struggle. And we're going to get frustrated at times because we're being goaded into the right direction and into alignment. But if we really trust God in all these circumstances and all this, he will bring the church into alignment with who he is And he will continue to do that every day until he returns. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Father, I pray for each one of us, Lord, that in our messed up circumstances that we're in and all the division and bitterness that is growing between friends and family and neighbor and community and leadership and government. 
God, that somehow your economy, your way of life, your way of thinking, your spirit, your mind, Lord, your word says we have your mind, that your mind would be with us. God, in the way we relate to one another, in the way we talk about each other, in the way we make decisions about how we will live. God, that we will hold your word in highest priority as you have instructed us to do and to not have other idols that we chase after. God, examine each one of us. Lord, I pray for this church. God, that you will help us find alignment. God, that you will help us overcome the testing. And God, that we will go on to fulfill the destiny you have spoken over this house. And that the relationships we have, Lord, will grow stronger and healthier. Lord, that we would be able to find oneness and unity. And God, I pray that your words would settle in our hearts on fertile soil. Lord, that we wouldn't just dismiss these words because we disagree, but that we would absorb your words knowing that they are greater than our own thoughts. For you bless each one. In Jesus' name, amen.